0: I guess it's the best thing God's ever let me do in my life, is (laughs) meet in this garage with you and uh, look at His Word and see lives be changed. You know, it's one thing I get to see. Some of you don't see it as often, but as the pastor, I see lives changed. And um, I, I get emails and I get letters and I get phone calls and... Yeah, it's a great honor to meet with you in this place. So I want to start this evening with a hypothetical question. Let's assume that I'm some random person in your life, like at work or at the university or in the neighborhood, and I know that you profess to be a Christian. So I have a question for you. I want to. I want the Christian answer. You know, I want. I want to know what you think the Bible teaches about this. So I come up to you and I, I say, is it wrong for me to pursue my pleasure? Is it wrong for me to pursue uh, my own happiness? Is it wrong uh, to be filled with intense desire? And oh, by the way, I just am... Is it wrong that I'm filled with an intense desire and I seek to satisfy that, that desire? Is, is it wrong? Are those things wrong? I want the Christian answer. I want you to tell me. I'm an unbeliever. Is it wrong to desire happiness and pleasure and satisfaction? Is it wrong? Good answer. <laughs> um. Many, many who don't know much about God and the true nature of mankind and the breathtaking good news of the Bible might say that pursuing your own happiness and pleasure and satisfaction is the epitome of self-centeredness and selfishness. So what do you think? Yes or no? And while you're thinking about that, I'm going to share a quote with you from Blaze. Pascal, some of you are familiar with that name, 17th century French mathematician, philosopher, and theologian. The guy was scary smart. And he said something like this. All men seek their happiness all the time. It's why some men go to war. It's why some men avoid war. But they're all seeking for the same thing. They're all seeking for their own happiness, for their own fulfillment for their own satisfaction. And he goes on to say, even the man who hangs himself, even the man who hangs himself is seeking in some measure at least, at least less despair, but he's seeking to please what he thinks in his own heart will best suit him in that situation. Now, the fact that someone who hangs themselves is seeking their own Happiness, pleasure, and satisfaction. That may be a new thought to you. But I do believe Pascal is on to something here. Men always pursue their happiness. I I think it's a universal truth. As soon as you're out of the birth canal, it's all about you and you want what you want, right? Am I wrong? Mommy, give me what I want. Mommy, I want it right now. Uh, all you mothers know this is the truth. Right? And the same thing is true. The same thing is true of adults. We just mask it better. Don't we? Don't we just mask it better? Don't we just mask it better? Isn't the bulk of mankind hopelessly you know, in love with themselves and seeking to, to selfishly please themselves? So... The young adults are studying Ecclesiastes this semester, and I, I love the book of Ecclesiastes. In the book of Job, God teaches us about losing everything, right? In the book of Ecclesiastes, God teaches us about having everything. There's a snare both ways. There is a snare both ways. Both books are really it, they're part of the wisdom literature, a uh, section made up of, of the Bible, and um, it's tremendous to have this wisdom that God has given to us through the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, all of us combined in this room uh, will never have one-tenth of one percent of the money, power, fame, accomplishment, physical indulgence, and pleasure that Solomon had. None of us will. None of us will ever get close to the level that Solomon was at. Solomon literally had almost everything a man or woman could want. He did. And what was his conclusion? Anybody know his conclusion? What? Pardon me? It's all vanity. vanity. Vanity of vanities. It's all meaningless, he said. And we understand the context in which he's saying that. He says it's chasing after the wind to try to find my happiness, my pleasure, my satisfaction in something temporal. He says, I've tried it. I've tried it. I've tried every which way to fill up my soul with legitimate and illegitimate pleasures of this life. He says it's impossible. What did he say, Elijah? What does he say? It's like chasing... The wind. Elijah made a good point uh, last Wednesday evening. Made us concentrate on that. He said it's like trying to catch the wind. You can't catch you can't catch the wind. Solomon said, All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them, I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. And his conclusion was it's all meaningless. It's all meaningless apart from God. This is the conclusion of Ecclesiastes. And some of you in here, you think, if I could just get more of that, if I just had a little more acclaim, if somebody would just pay attention to me, if I just had a little more pleasure, if someone loved me a little bit more. I mean, the list is endless. Some of you think, that someone else or some circumstance can make you happy. Some of you think it. I don't have any doubt. This is a small group, but even in a group this small, some of you think, if I could just have this, or if this person would just love me, or if I just had that, or if I could just have more money, I would be happy. Solomon says, wrong. You'll never be happy if you're looking for temporal things to be ultimate in your life. You'll never ever 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 be happy. So God teaches us in Ecclesiastes that having everything in multiplied redundancy, which is what Solomon had, I'll give you one example, 700 wives, 300 concubines. Okay? having everything multiplied in redundancy is not enough for the human soul the human mind the human heart and the human imagination it's not enough you could own the whole cosmos it's not enough it's not enough i love how c.s lewis talks about this i'm going to read you a somewhat marginally lengthy quote i want you to stay with me okay c.s lewis talks about this he says it this way and i think this is brilliant this is one of my most favorite quotes um from Mr. Lewis. You know I I refer to him quite often. But I love this quote. This is tremendous. Listen. Lewis says, Indeed, if we consider the staggering nature of the rewards promised to us in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. Lewis says, We are half-hearted creatures. We fool around with drink and sex and ambition. Blah, blah, blah. Etc., 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 when infinite joy has been offered to us. Okay, what's the inf- infinite joy that's been offered to us? Anyone? Pardon me? Amen. Jesus Christ. He's offered himself to us. He says, Here I am. And you know what? Most of the world says, I'm not interested. Jesus says, Here I am. You can have all of me that you want. The world says, not interested. And many who call themselves Christians just tip their hat. You know, It's kind of an obligatory thing I do. I just tip my hat. <laughs> I'm not in love. My life hasn't changed. I'm not His disciple in the world. I'm not proclaiming the good news. Lewis says, we're messing around with this stuff when infinite joy has been offered us. He says, we're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. And then he says this, and I I know this permeates my teaching and preaching. (laughs) He says, you are far too easily pleased. Don't you love that? If you've settled for some temporal pleasure to fill your heart and your mind and your soul and your imagination, he says, you've settled... He says, you are far too easily pleased. God has made you to know and love and walk with him. God's made your soul for that. It's why Solomon couldn't get to he couldn't find it. No matter how he tried, he couldn't find it. He couldn't get there. He couldn't get there. It's like Lewis is saying, you know. If you've settled in with your little worldly pleasures and, and that's where you've stopped, he says it's like you know you don't expect enough, want enough, or desire enough. So back to the original question. Is it wrong for man or woman to pursue their own happiness? To pursue their maximum pleasure? To be filled with an intense desire? To seek to satisfy that desire? The biblical answer is it depends. <laughs> Where are you trying to satisfy that desire? In the world? And this is what the text is about. In the world or with God? Yes, pursue your happiness, your pleasure, and your joy, and your infinite delight in God. But don't be sidetracked. Don't be deceived in thinking that anything in this world can fill you up, because it will not. Go read Ecclesiastes. You'll never have as much money as Solomon had. You'll never have as much sex as as Solomon had. You'll never have as much accomplishment as Solomon had. You'll never have as much fame as Solomon had. Solomon says it's worthless without God. It's what the text is about. It's about people trying to find their ultimate pleasure in temporal things. This is part of what the Lord is saying to us in the text. So, is Lewis right about you? I'm just gonna ask you and then we'll move on. Is Lewis right about are you a half-hearted creature? Are you half-hearted? Have you set your affections on the things of the world? You think it just terminates here? You think, you think your pleasure and your, your satisfaction and your happiness terminates on some temporal thing? Well, I hope God uh, rocks your world tonight. I hope He rocks your world. What was it uh, we looked at uh, in the young adult bible study we we looked at that uh, great text uh, ecclesiastes 3:11 what does it say ecclesiastes 3:11 it's really one of the most important verses in in the book ecclesiastes 3:11 for god has set what eternity in the heart of man you think you're going to fill it up with money and power and trinkets and toys and cars and houses and you know retirement accounts and you think that's going to fill up your t- it's it's yeah It's like chasing the wind. It's like chasing the wind. So the true Christian, the born-again Christian, the Christian who has met Jesus, who is in love with Jesus, who is in relationship with Jesus, understands the truth of Ecclesiastes and the truth of this Scripture that we're looking at tonight. We will not settle... We will not settle for anything less than being in relationship with Jesus Christ. We will not settle. We are not too easily pleased. We are not half-hearted creatures. We will pursue the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not, you know, that's real Christianity. Not just, you know, when I, it, I'm in trouble or... It, I think it might give me an emotional rush or a spiritual high. That Then I'll fall. No, no. The true Christian is pursuing God because we must have God. We must have God. We must have God because no one else affords us happiness, pleasure, and fulfillment like He does. I love how the prophet isaiah talks about it he says why do you spend your money for what is not bread why do you spend your wages for what does not satisfy the prophet jeremiah says something similar he says why do you forsake god says why do you forsake me uh, the fountain of living waters and drink from broken cisterns that can hold no water why are you looking elsewhere this is a great insult to god you think something else can satisfy you? This is a great insult to God. Not only do, you know, two things happen here if you set your affections on some temporal thing. You lose, and God is blasphemed. You understand? You lose, and you're saying, I'm not interested in you, God. I'm not interested. This little career is more important. Or, This perfect family is more important, or this pile of money is more important. It's blasphemy, Lord. Brothers and sisters, it's blasphemy to, to think this way. So God created us and infused us with a capacity for infinite desire. And that infinite desire can only terminate on Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Oh, guess what? I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He said, if a man is thirsty, let him come to me, and I will give him drink. You know, I, I, I talk to unbelievers and nominal Christians sometimes, and they, they talk like God's trying to hinder my joy. He's trying to hinder me from, from experiencing true pleasure. That's, that's, a, that's a satanic presentation of the truth. That's a demonic. We talked about it last week. To even think it, much less say it. Um, God means for you to have infinite joy. God purposes for you to have infinite happiness, infinite pleasure, infinite satisfaction. This is the inheritance of the children of God. Infinite happiness. Infinite pleasure. It's the psalm I read. Infinite pleasures uh, are, are there at the right hand of God. This is what God has offered. And we say, no, I'd rather have a car. I'm going to set my, my heart on a car or a house or a career or, again, a family or a pile of money. It's a great insult. It's a great insult to God. I don't think we, we realize what we say in our actions, not only to God, but to the world about God. So, Just very quickly, um, we are in the book of James, and again, I I didn't intend to stay here so long, but it's like the Lord's pulled me in, and and I can't get away. But God is warning us tonight about being half-hearted creatures, about settling for that which is temporal, that which is worldly, about setting our affections on this world and making ourselves an enemy of God. He talks about that. Friendship with the world is what? If you really love the world, what? You're, you're, you're an enemy of God. This is the Word of God. It's what it says. And God warns us about rejecting our created purpose to know Him. For if we reject that created purpose, we have become spiritual adulterers. Verse 4. So James has been telling us from the very beginning, from the beginning of the book, that Christians are different. We're a peculiar people. Uh, we are no longer friends of The world. Uh, I think I mentioned it to you several weeks ago, but I'm just going to go back and mention it again. James is the first pastor of the first Christian church. And I love it that the first pastor of the first Christian church that we know of writes this letter and he's talking about what true Christianity looks like. I think it's informative and I think it permeates, I, I know it does permeate my preaching, but. I think it's an important thing. The first pastor of the first church wrote his first letter to his first flock. And it's about this. It's about what true conversion really looks like in the world. And what he knows, he knows what every pastor knows. As he addresses his congregation, he knows there are wheat and there are tares. it's just what we know. we, we know it's, it's a fact. it 's what, what Jesus has said. so he's speaking to both. he's doing both things. he's talking to those who in the church who you know, have not really given themselves to, away to God. you can it 's evident in the text. so he's speaking to both the wheat and the tares. He's encouraging and exhorting the wheat and he's uh, calling the tares to repentance. so he's doing. Both things. Last week we finished chapter 3. We talked about the wisdom that comes from above and how the true believer is employing this wisdom and how we live our daily lives. And you may remember the last thing He said to us. He says that those who walk in the wisdom from above, they make peace. It's the same thing Jesus said in the famous Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called... The sons of God, and so immediately he 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 goes into this. Uh, he makes this dichotomy. Immediately he goes goes. He starts talking about conflict and quarrels. So we get into verse one and two of chapter four. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Verse two: You lust and do not have, so you commit murder, and you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. James says the source of your quarrels and conflicts it's that you think it's all about you. <laughs> you think it's all about you. You think it's all about your pleasure. You think it's all about your happiness. You think it's all about your satisfaction. And so obviously, when your circumstance... And if you're no longer happy in your circumstance, well, there's something wrong with the circumstance. Man, I need a new wife or something, right? Something's wrong here. I should be happy. It's all about my happiness, right? It's all about the fact that I would always be full of pleasure and satisfaction in every temporal thing. Lewis says the problem is your pleasures and your desires that are within your own heart. These mud pie pursuits. These mud pie pursuits. You know, the mud pie pursuits are are, are ultimate or have been elevated to the wrong place. Our desires are too weak. We've let our desires fall to temporal things. We are half-hearted. We are far too Easily, pleased. Man has given himself to the wholehearted pursuit of temporal happiness and thereby has rejected the wholehearted pursuit of eternal happiness which only comes in Jesus Christ. But you know, most of you who have lived long enough, some of you probably haven't lived long enough yet. I've lived long enough. Nothing in this world satisfies my soul. Nothing. It's not that I didn't try when I was young. I tried a lot. And I'm trying to save some of you young people from making the stupid and arrogant and blasphemous mistakes that I made as a young person. Thinking, oh, man, if I could just do that. If I could just have that. If I could just go there. (laughs) It all rings hollow, beloved. It all rings hollow. Meeting Jesus Christ and knowing Jesus Christ, it is the most satisfying experience a human soul can have. I pray that all of you, if not most of you, I hope it's true for you. I like the International Standard Version here. Translation, it says... Where do those fights and quarrels among you come from? They come from your selfish desire because you think it's all about you. The conflicts and the quarrels among us, it's always because of sin. It's never not for any it's it, it's always about sin. It's never not about sin. If you're in the midst of a quarrel or a conflict, it's about sin. That's what it's about. It's what the Word of God says, and we know that it is true. If there's conflict in your marriage, in your family, in your work, at your church, in the political arena or the international arena, it's all about man asserting his frustrated desires. His internal frustrated desires And it always pours out into the external. So it always externalizes itself. I'm frustrated. I'm not happy. I don't have enough pleasure. I'm not satisfied. Bam! It spills out. It spills out. And everyone around us is affected. I'm not happy. Mama! I'm not happy! I want what I want, Mama! No different than the newborn. Absolutely no different than the newborn. You just mask it better. I just mask it better. It's exactly the same story. Remember what we talked about last week. For jealousy and selfish ambition are not from God. They are earthly, they are natural, and bam, they are demonic. We talked about this last week. That's an amazing statement from the Bible. Last week we also talked about the fact that for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, every evil thing is there. (laughs) Every evil thing exists in that environment. And that kind of mindset. And we see that in the world, don't we? We see that man is seeking happiness, pleasure, and satisfaction apart from God. The mud pie pleasures. The mud pie pleasures. So, we talked a little bit about it last week. The origin of sin. Uh, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14. Satan thought it was all about him. And isn't that... The core reason for, you know, I get the question all the time. I've mentioned it the last two weeks. Why is the world messed up? Well, that's it. Satan thought it was all about him and now you think it's all about you. And ISIS thinks it's all about them. And etc., etc., etc. That's why the world's messed up. It's because of sin. It's because... Man's pleasures do not terminate on God. They terminate well short of God. They, they terminate on some temporal, worldly, and as we talked about last week, some lesser thing. Verse 2, God says, this is the source of human conflict. It's the all about me lust. It's the all about me envy. This is the source of human conflict. And he says, this frustrated eternal desire, it can lead to murder. Verse 2, it can lead to murder. And, I, and I'm thinking, as, as James writes these words, he's, he's, hearing, he's, hearing a, he's hearing the words of his half-brother in the back of his head. Who is the half-brother of James? Pardon me? Who's the half-brother of James? Jesus. Different James. Jesus. Jesus, right? And what did Jesus say about murder? Man, if you hate somebody, if you call them a fool, you're guilty before the court. You're just as guilty before the court. You know, nobody ever kills anybody that hasn't already thought about it for a really long time. Most often. I mean, I understand that, that there can be uh, a situation that would arise suddenly. But murder, murder, which is the word that's used here, that's usually premeditated. It's flowing out of our frustrated desires because we can't have what we want or we're not happy or it's supposed to be all about me, but it's not. Listen, I, I, I have to tell you, I've told you this many, many times, it's, it is about Jesus Christ. I want you to understand this. Everything's about Jesus Christ. Everything is about Jesus Christ. There's not anything that's not about Jesus Christ. The one cell creature under the the, the rock in the blackest, deepest part of the ocean to the the asteroid on the farthest side of the the cosmos. It's all about Jesus one way or the other. It is. And the sooner you learn that, the better you're going to get on. And the more pleasure you're going to experience in your life and in your relationships and in your work and in your neighborhood and in... Your church. At the end of verse 2, James says, you do not have because you do not ask. Men do not have that which satisfies because they are not genuinely seeking God. They are pursuing their natural base, carnal lusts and desire. the mud pie pleasures. They're like lemmings. Don't you see it in the world? Mankind, they're just like lemmings. They just... They just go with the herd, They're sheeple. You know what the, the, the word sheeple means, right? What is sheeple? What does it mean? It's people who look like sheep. They just follow anybody. <laughs> they'll follow anybody. Anybody who'll tickle their ears, they'll follow them. The true believer won't. The true believer can be deceived for a short time. But soon he'll pierce through the falsehood. Sheeple. I, it's just the media the media plays their the media sings their song and the world goes oh, okay i guess that's how it is i'll do that too right <laughs> without any critical thought or bringing it bringing what the media is saying or what the culture is saying to the word of god which is our true plumb line right we don't we judge everything by the word of god I don't care what some pope says or what some patriarch says or what some you know, pe- popular preacher in the U.S. says. I could care less. Our plumb line is the Bible. It's the Word of God. What does God have to say? What does God have to say about it? So natural man is loath to ask God for anything. Natural man sees himself as a, as a little sovereign. Well, I'm, I'm pretty much a, a little g-god all on my own. Why would I ask God for anything he simply, fallen man, simply prefers to follow his own carnal desires. James is saying to all who have the ears to hear you do not have that which truly satisfies you because you are not seeking your Creator God with sufficient passion and zeal. If you are dissatisfied tonight, it's not about your husband, it's not about your wife, it's not about your work. It's not about how much money you have or don't have. It's not because your car is garbage. (laughs) It's because you are not pursuing and loving and walking with Jesus Christ. That's why you're not happy. If you are not happy, that's why. If you are not satisfied, that's why. If you're not experiencing great joy, that's why. I'm not saying we don't have hard times. Of course we have hard times. Sorrowful but always rejoicing as the Apostle Paul says. Even if I'm sorrowful, I'm always rejoicing because my God's God and my God fills up my soul. You can take my life but you can never have my joy. Amen? You can never have it. You can't have it. Take everything I have. Take it all. You can't have my joy. It's a gift from God. (laughs) and he's planted it deep within my soul. Verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasure. He's talking to the tares here specifically. Says you 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 know I think we can certainly bring this into a modern context. I don't know what was going on with James at that time and in that culture, but and I know I bring this up a lot, but you know um, you think God is uh, your genie in a bottle? you think God is Santa Claus in the sky? you think he's a he's a slot machine, and I, if I'll just stroke him just right, or maybe if I give an offering, if I plant a seed, like the guy on TV says, if I just bring an offering and I put some money in the basket, well, money will appear. I mean this is I'm, I'm sorry, but this is just utter stupidity. It has nothing to do. With the Bible. It has nothing to do with Scripture. It's being guilty of delighting more in the blessing than delighting in God. This passage can also apply to us as true Christians. Simply, we're not praying in the Spirit. We're not just giving it to God, right? Isn't that what you want? Isn't, isn't that what you want ultimately in your prayer life? Isn't it what you want? God, your will be done. God, your will be done. Hallowed be your name, your will be done. I, I Listen, that's all I need to pray. I don't really have to pray anything else. Now, uh, the Lord has invited us to bring every petition to Him. What an awesome thing. I can just pour my heart out on God and He can just take it, right? And I can just pour it out and pour it out and pour it out. And he says, you got any more, bring it on. He can take it. But really, all I need to pray is, hallowed be thy name. Your will be done in my life, great God. That's really all I have to pray. And I pray frequently. Hallowed be your name. Your will be done. I have people ask me all the time, how can we pray for you? His will. His will. That's all I want. That's all I want. Why would a Christian want anything other than the will of God? Why would you want anything other than the will of God? Oh, he has infinite mind. <laughs> you know better? No. You're not even close <laughs> to what you. You're not even close to understanding what you need. I'm not even close to understanding what I need. <laughs> God knows perfectly what I need. God knows. Perfectly. Four through six. You're an adulteress. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Verse five. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? His jealousy desires uh, the Spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Again. He's talking to the tares here. He says, you're playing like you're mine, but you are an adulteress. You're not really mine. You act like you're mine, but you really love the world. It's what he's saying here. He's talking to the tares. He says, if you want to be the friend of the world, that's okay, but here's the deal. You're my enemy now. You're my enemy. Can it get any worse for a human being? Can it get any worse for a human being that I am now, that God is now my enemy? I don't think so. I don't think so. God said the same thing over in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Romans 8, 5-8. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. For the mindset on the flesh is death because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh can not Please God. It cannot be said any more. Clearly, God is telling us if we love the world, we're clueless. We're clueless when it comes to Him. And we are now His enemy. And if you read the Bible, you realize there's no middle ground here. You're, you're either the friend of God or you're the enemy of God. There's no place in the middle. You know, it seems like many people try to, you know, many people I run into uh, out in the world, it seems like they think, well, if if I, you know, I can do a little religion and and that'll keep me safe in this middle place. I was listening to a, this is a big mistake. I was listening to a sermon by Piper about being a sucker. He said, that's like being a sucker. He said, someone, someone sold you a lie that you can play religion and you'll be okay and the judgment won't land on you. He says, don't be a sucker. We have a Savior. His name is Christ. Run to Him. But people think they can play God for a fool. I can just do a little religion. it be okay. A little religion. It'd be alright. It's not alright. It's not alright. It, as we've been talking about over and over and over again in the last few weeks, if it's not real, it's... If it's not about this, if it's not about a true love affair with God... I love this thing. He evokes this, uh, uh, this friendship. Who knows the two friends in the Old Testament? Who, who was referred to as friends of God in the Old Testament? Anybody know? Pardon me? John. Old Testament. Old Testament. Abraham and Moses. These two men were called the friends of God. How about in the New Testament? Who was called the friends of God in the New Testament? Everybody who believes, everybody who believes, everybody who loves Christ is a friend of God. Everybody. This is huge. You love Christ, you're a friend of God. (laughs) Does it get any better? (laughs) Does it get any better? Come on. And you want to look at pornography on the Internet? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You're you're, you're more hungry for for, for money and power and, and fame and acclaim than you are for Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? You don't, you're not thinking. You haven't heard, you haven't understood the Bible. Your infinite pleasure is in Christ, it is in Christ. Quickly, he talks about how the, the, the fact that we can become the enemy of God. And I, I listen. I got a lot of verses I could share with you, but I'm going I'm to try to keep this in a reasonable time frame, as I always try to do. Uh, I'm just going to give you one verse. This is what it looks like to be the enemy of God. Okay, this is what it looks like to be the enemy of God. Uh, Nahum chapter one verses two through six. This is some excerpts from those verses. God says, "I am a jealous and avenging God." The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on His adversaries. He reserves wrath for His enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Who can stand before His indignation? Who can endure the burning of His anger? His wrath will be poured out like fire. That's what it looks like to be the enemy of God So friend, if you're here tonight and you're still a friend of the world, I have to ask you why. Why are you a friend of the world? Why have you given your heart to the world? Why have you given your affections to the world? Why are you chasing the world? I have to ask you why. Because if you are, two things are true. You lose forever. And you are the enemy of God. Verse five, just quickly. It's it's a hard verse to. There's there's conservative theologians disagree here. Um, it's a hard verse to translate. I like the New King James. It reads, "The Spirit who dwells in us yearns, jealously, jealously." So there there are two ideas here. One is it could mean, it could mean that James is saying that the Holy Spirit within us yearns jealousy for God. That could that could be legitimate in my view. The other thing it can mean is that the scripture is saying that the fallen spirit of man um, lusts to envy. So it could be either one. I, I think both can certainly be biblically true. I think I think the the second interpretation is is probably correct because that's kind of the 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 flow of the text here. The fallen spirit and heart of man lusts to envy. And he says, God is opposed to the proud. Wow. <laughs> so are you proud? Every man and woman I've ever met has some element of pride. And, and there can, it can be you know, in the right proportions and in the right thinking. It, pride can be, it can be spoken of in a good thing. It just means I, I do my best. That's kind of what it means in many people's minds. But if you are prideful and arrogant before God, God says, I am opposed to you. If you you ignore My Word, if you merely tip your hat to Me, if you don't really worship Me in any meaningful way, He says, I am opposed to you. It's an amazing, amazing statement. Paul tells us in in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? And, And effectively, James is saying to the unbeliever, if God is against you, who can be for you? Who can be for you? So, is it wrong to pursue my own happiness, my own pleasure, and my own satisfaction? The biblical answer is, it depends. Are you still playing with mud pies? Uh, Well, if you are, then that's going to be a dead end for you. Are you pursuing Jesus Christ? Then you are on the right path. If you are hopelessly in love with Him and you are pursuing Him and learning to walk with Him and obeying all that He has commanded you to do, The biblically literate Christian understands what Solomon is teaching. Money, power, fame, accomplishment, family, sex, accumulation, comfort, ease, security, knowledge, and lots and lots and lots and lots of other stuff is never going to fill up your soul. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ will. So the true believer will not be deceived by Satan's lies. We are not too easily pleased. We could care less about the mud pies in the slum. We must have Christ. We were created by Christ and for Christ. We must have Christ. He is our supreme happiness. He is our maximum pleasure. And He satisfies every last desire that resides within my heart. Jesus Christ says, if any man is thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. What an awesome invitation, beloved. What an awesome invitation. Some of you need to take Him up on that. Some of you need to take Him up on that invitation. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table tonight. I know you've probably noticed the the elements. Um.